Uh, we want to take a moment and welcome everybody watching online or by video, however you're watching this uh, message. We're so glad that you're here, um, but there's nothing like being here. Visit waterschurch.org locations to find a time and location ne near you and come and see us in person because as all, as all these people in front of me will tell you, it's much better being here. Come on, let them know how much better it is. Come and see us in person. We'll make you feel right at home. Well, my name is Tim. I'm the pastor here, and uh, if you would take out the bulletin, it looks like this. In the bulletin, I got a lot of work for you to do. I, I, you probably already previewed it. There's a lot of blanks today. I'm, I'm sorry. I got a lot of content, and my goal today is that you know your enemy, and it's going to take some time. So please bear with me. Lots to go through, and we'll get through it, but we're going to know our enemy. I so appreciate that message bumper video because it has been saying this all series long, if you know the enemy, you can win the battle. So many Christians don't know their enemy. They don't know what he's about. They don't know where he comes from, and they don't know how to take him on. So take notes today, take notes. If, if you're not taking notes, take notes. <laughs> Five Lies of the Devil, part four. The message title is, it's all about you. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's all about you. This is the fourth lie of the series. It is not just a lie, it is the mantra of Satan. It is how he has chosen to live his existence and he has passed this lie into our ears a thousand different ways and we need to be aware of it. It's all about you. It leads to a problem, an epidemic problem in our country, in our culture right now called narcissism. Uh, anybody uh, know what narcissism is? It's obsession with self. It's based on the Greek god Narcissus. He was a Greek god. Obviously, this is a fable, not true. Greek god roamed the woods, couldn't find love, saw his reflection in a pond or in a lake, and fell in love with his own reflection. And because no one could match his beauty, in his opinion, he roamed the world alone and then killed himself. That's what narcissism, that's where we get the word narcissism from. Uh, this is a growing epidemic. All the research shows, Boston College did a big study about this. All the research shows narcissism is skyrocketing in our country, skyrocketing in our culture. More and more people are obsessed with themselves. We have endless opportunities and channels through which we can broadcast what we're doing, what we're, where we are, what we're thinking, what we're eating, for heaven's sakes, to the rest of the world. And uh, everybody is looking for likes, followers, friends, uh, cyber realities that are not true to our real realities. And so the country, the culture, the technology, the revolution that we are experiencing right now has fed this beast inside all of us and is more narcissistic than ever before in our world. Now, I wasn't going to do this, but Jacob got us started, the MC. Jacob got us started with some bad jokes, and his were so bad, I feel confident about my bad jokes about to come up. <laughs> you with me? You're, you want some bad jokes? Some bad narcissistic jokes, narcissism jokes, okay. Uh, did you hear about the narcissistic cannibal? He was full of himself. <laughs> what did one narcissist say to the other narcissist? Nothing. Neither of them could hear themselves. the other person uh, talking over themselves, talking about themselves. Bad delivery, terrible joke. <laughs> what do you call a narcissistic spaceship? A millennial falcon. <laughs> Stay with me, young people. We love you. I said just a joke. Cry to mom later. <laughs> I'm not going to have any friends after this service. Oh, let's see, what's another one? Oh, what's a narcissistic hooker's favorite state? Narcissistic hooker's favorite state? Idaho. That one was good. I think that one was good. I don't know. Some of you are like, this is church. I don't understand why he's gonna do that. This is so bad. Laughter is good medicine. That comes from the Bible. Amen. <laughs> there are two passages in the Bible that refer to our, uh, the, the origins of our enemy, Satan. They're in the top of your notes. Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14. These passages, and, and this is imperative that you understand this. Though they are talking about ancient people from about 500 to 700 B.C., they are also talking about Satan. 
understand this is how Old Testament scripture works. Oftentimes it is talking about two beings. Oftentimes. This is how you have to read the Old Testament. Because when Moses, like for instance, when Moses says in Deuteronomy 28, the Lord will raise up from among, among you a prophet like unto me. You shall listen to everything he tells you. Well, Moses is talking about two people there. First, he's talking about Samuel, who comes later. And he's also talking about who? Jesus. So many times in the Old Testament, you have to understand this, it's talking about two people, a real historical person in human history and then a spiritual being or person that is going to come and fulfill that scripture fully later in the world. Does everybody understand that? Because that's key. you got to understand that. That's where we're going to go, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14. And we'll get there in just a moment. Have you heard about the coronavirus? Uh, how many of you are scared witless about the coronavirus? Oh, good for you. I hope you're not. Because we've, 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 we've read this book before, yes? We've seen this movie. How many remember SARS? How many remember H1N1? Swine flu, bird flu, Spanish flu, I don't know who. <laughs> Sounds like a Dr. Seuss rhyme, am I right? And, and, and every, every time they come up, it's like, this is at the end! Ah! And maybe, just maybe, news outlets need you to pay attention to them so that they can sell ad space. So they gotta ramp it up and act like it's the end of the world so that you pay attention and they get viewers. And I don't take it lightly. I think any virus, we should fight it, absolutely. Let's do whatever it takes, okay? Yep, I'm not a fan of virus. But there's a virus that we should be really aware of. And I call it the, not the H1N1 flu, the swine flu, the Spanish flu, I call it the all about you flu. It's where you actually think the world revolves around you. And again, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tinder, it's all there to make you feel like you're the center of the world. Even Netflix, Amazon Prime, uh, YouTube TV, binge watching. It, it, it's, it's like, you know, you, you don't have to, how many remember when you had to wait a week? It's like a foreign country. My children are like, how did you and mom survive? Now you can watch the whole show in a weekend and then wake up on Monday and say, I really need to get some friends. <laughs> this, this is where we are as a culture, but even our entertainment, even technology, it has fed this flu system into us. It has exacerbated the symptoms of the all about you flu. Now I got some news about this flu. Actually, for once, your therapist is right. You can blame your parents. You can blame mom and dad because they had it. And their parents had it. And their parents had it. And it goes all the way back to all of our parents, Adam and Eve. The day the devil spoke to Eve and she ate that fruit, what was the lie? Genesis 3, 4, and 6. What does he say? The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. In other words, it's all about you. You need to be like him. Don't you settle for second-class status. Don't settle for limitation. Un unhinge yourself from the chains and the shackles. Become who you were meant to be. All about you, flu. And this is destroying our country, destroying our society, destroying our souls, because like narcissists, Narcissists, in the Greek mythology, more and more young people are feeling suicidal, cutting themselves, feeling depressed, hopeless, and anxious, and want to end their life. And we need to see it for what it is. It comes from the father of lies. So, ready for a college crash course in Satan? Here we go. Letter, question one, who was Lucifer? Or who is Lucifer? Because before he was Satan, he was Lucifer. Lucifer means light bearer. Lucifer is the Latin translation of the word found in Isaiah 14.12. Isaiah 14.12 says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. But other translations have it, O day star. Underline star. Star in the Hebrew scriptures refers not just to the burning balls of gas in the solar system. It also refers to 
Angels. Stars equals angels. You with me? Day star, son of the morning. Why son of the morning? Because Lucifer is represented in astrology, or I'm sorry, in astronomy, in astronomy by Venus. Did you know that Venus is the third brightest star from our atmosphere? The brightest star that we see from our atmosphere is? The second is the? Moon. <laughs> Sun, moon, <laughs> Venus. Did you know that? The third brightest star from our perspective is Venus. Venus is about the same size as Earth. It is the closest planet to Earth. And by the way, it's the only planet in our solar system that turns the opposite way. You could call Venus the anti-planet. It is actually a symbol for Lucifer. It's the first star you will ever see in the morning, thus the name morning star. It's the third brightest. Lucifer is the third brightest star in the heavenly realm. Important, impressive, and make, you, make sure you understand. He gets up early in the morning. He's up before you are. He's got a plan for you. Did you know that he had a plan for you today? His first plan, you kicked in the butt. I'm so glad. Because his first plan for you was, don't go to church. Congratulations, you just kicked Lucifer's butt. Amen. You're here. He has a plan for you tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. He gets up early, he makes his plans, and he wants to deceive you and lie to you, steal, kill, and destroy you. Here's the answer to the question. Lucifer was a cherub created by God. A cherub. Somebody say cherub. I only ask you to say these words so that you remember them, and I'll be saying that a lot today. A cherub is an angel. Remember I said angels refer to, uh, stars refer to angels in the scriptures and stars. Stars and angels, same thing oftentimes in the scriptures. Lucifer was a cherub. Cherub is a different class of angels. There are three classes of angels. We know this from the Bible and... It's a wonderful life. <laughs> First class angels are like Michael, Gabriel, Clarence. <laughs> if I was saying this in December, it would make a lot more sense. Okay. The First class angels are here to serve you. Did you know that? Yes. And by the way, the lion's share of angels are meant to serve you. Isn't that wonderful? And here's what the scripture says about these angels. They guard you. They rescue you, uh, they reveal God to you, and at the end of days, they will judge your enemies. They will bring God's judgment upon his enemies and your enemies. Yes. There's the four roles of angels. But there are two orders of angels that are higher than regular angels. These are the orders that Clarence had no shot at, okay? Cherubim and seraphim. Cherubim occupy the solar system in outer space Seraphim, the word seraphim means burning ones or fiery ones, keep that in the back of your mind for later, are in the throne room of God. According to Isaiah chapter 6. Now, I, everything I'm sharing is in the Bible. I don't have time to go through every passage. Just trust me, I'm summarizing. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. The train of his robe fills the temple. And above him were the seraphim calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They are the kind of angels with the cherubim that don't serve you, they serve God. Cherubim do this. They declare God's glory to the universe. That's what cherubim do. You with me so far? Seraphim declare God's glory to him. In the throne room of heaven, seraphim have their back to us and their eyes toward God. Beyond that throne room, the cherubim have their back to God and their eyes and mouths towards us declaring God's glories. Are you with me? A cherub. He was a cherub meant to glorify God. Ezekiel 28, 14 says, you were an anointed cherub, a guardian cherub. God says, I placed you. You are on the holy mountain of God. And in the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. This is who you were. This is who our enemy was. So second important question is, where is he from? Where is Lucifer from? Answer, 
He's from the second heaven. Fill in the blank. He's from the second heaven. Did you know there's three heavens? According to scripture, there's three heavens. Good news, you've already made it to the first heaven. The atmosphere of this planet is in scripture referred to as the first heaven. Okay, there's the earth, the, the crust of the earth, above the crust, this, the, 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 the heaven, the first heaven. Now above our atmosphere is the second heaven. Beyond that is the throne room of God called the third heaven. This is why, this is why Paul the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, I know a man who was caught up into the third heaven, the throne room of God, where who is? Who's there? God and the seraphim, the fiery ones. Lucifer was from the second heaven, outer space, the spatial uh, atmosphere beyond Earth's atmosphere. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 10, 18. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from where? Heaven. Not the throne room, space. Where did he fall to? Revelation 12, 4 tells us. His tail swept down a third of the stars. Remember stars refers to angels of heaven and cast them where? Say it like you mean it. To the earth. Now, when you read Revelation, it is not linear history. This is why people get confused with Revelation. They come up with all kinds of cockamamie theories about when Jesus is coming back. <laughs> Revelation is not linear. It bounces. Future, past, present. It interprets. It'll say one thing in another verse, and then it'll interpret what it said a couple of verses ago by the following verses. Revelation 12.4 is, is interpreted by Revelation 12.7 to 8 and 9. So look at a more clarifying passage in Revelation 12, 7 to 9. Now war arose where? Second heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back and he was defeated, but there was, and there was no longer any place for them where? The devil and his angels lost their place. Where? In heaven. Verse 9, Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to where? The earth. And his angels, plural, were thrown down with him. This all happened before Adam and Eve were ever created. Please remember that. He was cast out of the solar system to this earth. You and I are sitting on ground zero for Satan's judgment. We are in enemy territory. And if you don't believe that, then you have to explain to me why on this planet, since humans have been around, since we ate of that tree, there has never been a year of peace. Conflict hatred, violence, the first two brothers. One kills the other. Where does this come from? We're on enemy territory. This is his judgment zone. It's not the final judgment zone. It's the first level of judgment for him. This is all in the scriptures. You have to be aware of this so that you are not deceived by what you see. And, and so, He's cast from heaven and he's cast to this earth. And I only emphasize this because some of you, and I think I've said this before in the series, some of you have adopted Looney Tune theology around Satan. You watch Looney Tunes? Anybody grow up Looney Tunes? Classically raised, hallelujah. Love the Looney Tunes. Full of garbage, but I love it. Where, where is Satan in those cartoons? He's always in hell with his pitchfork and his pointy tail and his horns. He's red, he's black, he's ugly, right? That's loony theology. That's not true. He's not in heaven. He's not in hell. He's not in heaven. He's not in hell. Where is he? He's here. With his angels. Marching all over this earth. Causing disruption between men, women. The gender battle. Black, white. The race battle. Even though we're all one race. 
young, the old, the millennials versus the boomers. This is where it comes from. He is the author of division. When you divide from your brother or your sister, you are doing his business. This is why he hates unity. This is why he hates when you get together in a big room like this and some people might vote Trump and some people might vote Democrat and everybody's different, but we come together because we're not defined by our political ideologies, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son. That brings us together. Third question. How did Lucifer become our adversary, Satan? Because something happened, right? How did he fall? How, what, what, what was the cause of his rebellion? The answer is this, obsession with his image and intelligence. There are two things that are a gift from God for you that could become a curse for you. Amen. How you look and what you know. And this age in which we live, both of them are becoming a curse for this country. We're all about how we look, and we're all certain that we know the truth. And everybody who disagrees with us is an ignorant fool. We become obsessed, just like Satan, with what we look like and what we know. I want to show you this in scripture from Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11. It says this, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, raise a lamentation against the king of Tyre. You say, well, pastor, this is not about Satan. This is about the king of Tyre. Remember what I told you. Old Testament scriptures are often talking about a real historical person and a spiritual being. I will prove it to you, and then there's no more argument. Isaiah chapter 7 says, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. That was written 800 years before Jesus was ever on the planet. It referred to a king of Israel, an ancient king of Israel, who was born around 586 B.C., and it also refers to who? Jesus. You understand now? Scripture in the Old Testament often refers to two beings, and it refers to two beings here. And I'm going to show you from the very next verse how there's no doubt it's talking about Satan and not just the king of Tyre. But look what it says. Thus says the Lord God... You were the signet of perfection. Think about that. He was created perfectly. He was full of wisdom, circle wisdom. He was perfect in beauty. You could say it like this. Satan, or Lucifer, was just like God. Made in God's image. So number one, he was filled with wisdom and beauty. People think the devil's ugly. He is gorgeous. This is why we follow him so often. This is why this whole world is seduced by him. He's gorgeous. You have to understand, he's attractive. No one follows ugly. Swipe left. Or am I speaking your language now? Pagans. <laughs> You're a married man. How do you know that? I've done research. People follow beauty. They follow intellect. He's smart, he's sexy, and he's seductive. But he got obsessed with this. Verse 13, and this is how you're going to know that Ezekiel 28 is definitely talking about more than the the king of Tyre. Look what he says, the very next verse. You were in Eden. The king of Tyre was never in Eden. This verse is about more than the king of Tyre. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Look at this. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, diamond, barrel, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. Okay. Every precious stone was your covering. In other words, he looked gorgeous covered in precious stones. By the way, the precious stones are then applied to the high priest of Israel. And this is all going to tie together in just a moment. And <clears throat> uh, thinking about a precious stone, a, a gem, topia, a topaz, sardius, diamond, 
they, they have no beauty in themselves. Their beauty is determined by the colors that they reflect from light back into our eyes. Take any diamond, take any precious jewel, put it in the dark, and it's as worthless as a stone. It's only gorgeous when it's in the light. Hear me, Satan has nothing of value in him. It is only what God can shine through him. This is how he was created. This is what he was created to do, to reflect the multifaceted, multicolored, gorgeous nature of our creative God. And he took it for granted. And he got obsessed with it. And he lost it. He fell. He lost his place. So, remember I said that this all happened before Adam and Eve showed up. Because number two, he is musically gifted. Not talented, gifted. What's the difference, Pastor? Talent you develop, gifting comes natural. You don't earn gifts. So here's what it says in Ezekiel 28, 13b, from the New King James Version. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. In other words, I created you musical. Satan, Lucifer, was a living musical instrument created to sing God's praises to the solar system Amen. in the second heaven. Are you with me? Amen. Verse 15, you were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you, and this gorgeous, musical, gifted instrument was cast down to this earth. And he's still talented to this day. And this is why, ladies and gentlemen, every generation's music, outside of those in Christ, always is layered with rebellion. You listen to the radio? The, the Grammy Award-winning award song and album of 2020, Billie Eilish, it's called Bad Guy. The song goes like this, so you're a tough guy, like it really rough guy, just can't get enough guy, chest puffed so high, I'm that bad guy, bad type, make your mama sad type, make your girlfriend mad type, might seduce your dad type, ew. I'm the bad guy. I'm only good at being bad. Duh. Um, every generation's music is laced with rebellion. I'm not talking bad about Billie Eilish. I'm, she's a phenomenal musician, songwriter, all this. I don't, I don't, I don't know her. I hope she finds Christ. But, but here's the deal. Every generation. Why, why, why does that song resonate with us? S some of you were bebopping while I was saying the lyrics just now. They're like, man, I like that song. Why do you like it? Because we have a nature, a sin nature that follows that father. Jesus said, you are, the, you are of your father the devil. He has been sinning from the beginning. He has been rebelling from the beginning. And every musical generation that grows up after a previous generation has rebellion against the previous generation that came before it. That's why moms and dads in this house listen to Billie Eilish today and say, what is that? But they're kind of sanctimonious because they were listening to poison. And their parents are saying, what is that? But their parents were listening to Elvis. And their parents were saying, what is that? Every generation, this is how it goes. Rebellion in music. First off, it's phenomenally creative. It sounds 
beautiful and it resonates with something inside of us, that sin nature that rebels against the God who created us. This is why worship is so important. The scripture says that his timbrels and his pipes were created for him. His timbrels and his pipes. Timbrels and pipes represent two of three forms of musical instruments that we still use today. Anybody was, in, was anybody in orchestra when they were a kid? Anybody else a geek and a loser in high school? I was. <laughs> there's, three, there's three kinds of instruments. There's percussion, wind, and string. That's the only kind of instruments there are. Every other instrument is based on those three categories. Percussion, wind, and string. Timbrels. We get the word timpani or tambourine from this. What is that? Percussion. Pipes. You blow wind through a pipe, it makes a sound. What is that? It is a wind instrument. Now hold on to strings for a moment. He was created with percussion and pipes. So were you. You may not even realize this. Everybody take your hands, put them out like this. On the count of three, bring them together with medium force. One, two, three. You just played the drums. You've got a wind instrument in you. This is how you were created. When wind comes out of your lungs and blows over vocal cords, stringed instruments, it comes out like this. Everybody do that with me on the count of three so I'm not the only loser in the room. One, two, three. Very good, you're an obedient audience, thank you. Your percussion, your wind, and your string, just like Satan was. And he took his gifting to exalt himself. And God cast him down to this earth. All before Adam and Eve were created. Why do I say that? Why is that so important? Because here's what you need to understand about you. You are his replacement. God took on the day of creating Adam and Eve, he took dirt, sand, squeezed it together. Literal word in the Hebrew. He squeezed the dust together and then he blew into the dust and mankind became a living, breathing instrument created to bring glory and praise to God as a statement to the devil. What you took for granted and lost with all your jewels and all your gems, I can make something better to replace you from dirt. And every time we worship, we tell the devil he's lost it and we got it and God is good. This is why you don't come to church late. (laughs) This is why you come to a building like this and you sing. The worship is not the pregame show. The worship is not something to check out your kids or in your kids with. The worship is not something you skip. The worship is something you do because you are created to bring glory to the God of the universe and tell the devil he's a liar and defeat it. Every time we worship, we teach them another lesson. Every time you sing, you teach them another lesson. Every time you clap your hands, every time you celebrate Jesus, you are telling the devil, I know my Redeemer lives. I know he's God. I know he's worthy. I got Jesus. So I'll see you next week at 11.29 a.m. Amen. Number three, this one's important. He is a successful and violent businessman. He's not just a great musician, he's good at selling it. Ezekiel 28, 16 says, in the abundance, circle abundance, because abundance just means he's he's successful, he's good. In the abundance of your what? Trade. You are filled With what? Violence. Violence. Trade, abundance, violence. 
successful and violent businessman. Now, the word trade here in Hebrew can be translated several words in the English. It could be translated trade like it is here. It could be translated merchandising. It could be translated trafficked, trafficking. Here's what the devil does. He trades, he merchandises, and he traffics. He trades, he merchandises, he traffics in that order. What does he trade? People. That's the only thing he cares about. He doesn't care about buildings. He doesn't care about this building. It does not scare him in the least. He doesn't care about money. He doesn't need it. He wants you. This is why we say things in our culture like, I sold my soul to the devil. Where do we get that euphemism? From this verse. He trades for you. Then he merchandises people. He mer he's a master marketer. Once he's done with them, once he's got them, he traffics them. This is why in every generation, in every culture in human history, they have found some sort of slave trade. Whether in the 1600s in this country, or earlier than that, amongst the Mayans in Central America, or earlier than that, in Egypt with the Israelites, or even today. It's called sex trafficking. It is a, unfortunately, hate to use the word, booming business in this country. It is not France's problem. It is not Armenia's problem. It is our problem. And right now in this country, Young children as young as 9 to 13 years old are being traded and merchandised and trafficked. And if you want to choose to believe that the devil in the scriptures is just a euphemism for evil, then you have to explain to me how, how sex trafficking is still a thing in this highly enlightened and educated society of America. We're doing the devil's business. And every time you look at porn, you're, you're participating. And every time business leaders, you use people to get money instead of using money to help people, you're doing the devil's business. And every time you rip people off and you think, wow, I really got away with it. Look at what I did. And you celebrate that, I'll tell you the devil's celebrating with you. Don't use people to make money. Use money to bless people. This is why you tithe and give and serve. And this is why we give to foreign missions in India and in Guatemala and in El Salvador, all over this world. Money from you goes around the world. Why? Because people matter to God. And we're going to undo the trade of the devil. Number four, he let his self-image corrupt his imagination. Notice the two words, image and imagination. One is the root of the other. Your self-image, if you're not careful, will corrupt your imagination. So be careful what you post on social media because you are portraying an image of you that's not real. Some of you are doing that. Be careful what you celebrate, be careful what you try to convince others about yourself. Making yourself look better than you really are. Trying to make, make other people jealous. Revenge, revenge posts. <laughs> For the friend who walked out on you, or the lover who scorned you, and you try so desperately to, to make sure that they feel like regret for leaving you. What are you doing? See, here's the thing about Christianity. Jesus has solved the image issue for us. We're broken sinners, saved by his grace. 
I stand before you today a sinner justified. A sinner justified. I'm still a sinner. I'm still, and I'm justified by faith through Christ. I'm a sinner in that I fail, but I'm justified in that God sees me through the grace of his son, Jesus Christ, and he does not hold my sins against me, but welcomes me as his son in the family. My self-image is not based, what I'm trying to tell you is my self-image is not based on what you think about me. It's based on what he has said about me. This is why I tell you so much about Jesus, because it will fix this for you. It will fix this for you. But you got to surrender. you got to surrender. you got to say, enough of me, more of him. Amen. Uh, Ezekiel 28, 17 says, your heart was proud. Look at, because of your beauty. Man, is that our age. Filters. H- how many filters do you need to use, young girl? Young lady? How many? Why? Why? Because you need to portray an image that's not real. Because that's your value. That's your worth. And let me tell you something about people. They suck. (laughs) Period. That was the end of the sentence. Period. Right there. That was it. They suck. They suck the life out of you. They suck from you. They will take from you. They will chew you up and spit you out. Do not seek approval from people. Find your approval in Jesus. Find your approval in Jesus. That's it. Your heart was corrupted because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom. In other words, you started to think stupidly. You corrupted how you thought because of your beauty. And so he started to say things to himself that many people say to themselves. And I call them the five will, I wills of Satan. Number one, uh, it's there in Isaiah 14, 13 to 14. I will, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. Remember stars? What are stars? Angels, okay. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like the most high. The five I will statements of Lucifer. And I want to give you a translation for each of them. Number one, I will ascend to the heaven, to heaven above the stars. In other words, I, I, I don't want to just be where I am. I want to be above everybody else next to me. Translation, where God has me is not enough. I, I, need, I need more. Don't you understand that ingratitude is not just sinful. It's satanic. People get worried about stars and triangles. Oh, the Illuminati. What? Shapes? Shapes? Shapes are going to upend your faith. Shapes. Give me a flipping break. Watch out for ingratitude. There you go. You want to worry about something? Worry about that. You want to you avoid something? Worry about being thankless. Worry about covetousness. Worry about uh, idolatry and, and, and thinking that your life is not good enough. That you can worry about. Shapes are shapes. These people that get on Facebook, the Illuminati, the Illuminati, the Illuminati. What? A star has never led, a star, a star, a written star has never led anybody away. But greed has, and lust has, and arrogance has. It's amazing how we worry about things we're not supposed to worry about and we don't care about things that we should worry about. Look at your life and start to say, thank you, Jesus. Go home today, walk into your house. I don't care if it's a mess. Just walk in and say, thank you, Jesus. Bless this mess. Hallelujah. (laughs) Okay? So now, three gradations of of angels, right? Angels, cherubim, seraphim. Seraphim means what? Burning ones. Satan wanted to be with the seraphim. Guess how God judged him? He gave him exactly what he wanted. He wanted to be a burning one. Look what it says. This will blow you away. Verse 18. 
By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst. Notice the next three words. It consumed you. Ladies and gentlemen, please listen to me. When you let sex, money, materialism, approval, praise from other people become your God, your thing, the thing that you have to have, do you understand that God does not send you straight to hell for wanting those things? If you want those things more than God, here's the way God judges you for it. He just gives it to you. He says, is that, is that what you really want? Here you go. And it consumes us. This is where addiction comes from. This is where rehab comes from. God gives you over to what you want if you do not want him. Because he will not hold on to you if you don't want to be a part of it. You have to understand this. And by the way, the fire that Satan sought consumed him. In the book of Revelation, where does Satan finally end up in judgment? In the lake of fire. Totally subsumed by what's in here. And the warning is for us, if we don't get this right, we'll get subsumed too. We'll get eaten alive by the desires of our heart. I'm telling you this to help you. The second I will of Satan is I will set my throne on high. Thrones refer to control. The word my is emphasized here, my throne. Translation, I will take control of my life. Can I, can I just give you a little information? You're not in control. You think you are, you're not. You don't have tomorrow promised to you. None of you do. Some of you are sitting here scorning everything I say. Not many, a few of you. Scorning everything I say. You can't wait to get out of here because you don't believe anything I'm saying. And I want to tell you, just because you believe, don't believe it doesn't mean it's not true. You are not in control. And some of you are playing a fool with God because you think you have all your life to get back to him, and you don't. The scripture says today is the day of salvation. Hear his voice today. Repent today. Turn today. Someone here needs to hear that. Don't be a fool. The third I will. I will sit on the mount of the assembly. The mount of the assembly refers to God's con controlling authority over the angels the assembly of the angels. Now, what does that mean? Translation, I will seek to control others. Okay, you're not in control of you. <laughs> Why do you think you control other people? But some of you are control freaks. And I know who you are, and you're gonna find out who you are right now. Because you are riddled with anxiety. You call it anxiety. God says you want to be in control of everybody. And that's why you worry and you stress. You want to control how people see you. You want to control everybody around you. And you have conveniently called it anxiety so that you can pop a pill that your doctor can give you instead of letting God root it out of your heart. Because it's much easier to deny it than to confess it. I want to say something that's going to sound so chauvinistic, but I have to say it. Moms, this is your issue. Or in future moms, this is your issue. Women, this is your issue. The curse of sin, Genesis chapter 3. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. You shall desire to control him. And because he won't be controlled, you stress out. Let it go. In the words of the great Elsa. Chillax. You, you can't control people. And listen, seeking to control them is following the trajectory of Satan. You're the one that's going to suffer with this. Some, some of you need to repent. You need to just say, Lord, I'm done. Surrender. Now, parents, I'm not saying don't tell your kids what to do and don't have rules and authorities and boundaries. Of course you should, but you can't control them. 
At some point, they turn 18, they turn 21, they go. You just got to say, I pray for you and I love you. Number four, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. The clouds refer to the glory of God. Pastor Geyser did such a great job with this last week. I don't need to spend much time with it. When we seek God's glory, we were doing what Satan did. Translation, I will seek the esteem of others. Some of you don't care about controlling others. You just want others to praise you. You just want others to celebrate you, like you, follow you, celebrate you. And this is our culture of celebrity. Tonight is going to be, you know, the, the, the great high holy day of celebrity narcissism. Tonight, Oscars, celebrate us. I need you to think I'm awesome. And we do this in smaller areas, smaller venues every day. It is the trajectory of Satan. How about, how about instead of trying so hard to get everybody to think so well of you, why not do what Jesus does and give yourself to think well of others? Instead of trying to celebrate you, celebrate someone else. Instead of trying to get someone to follow you, follow someone else. Somebody to applaud you, applaud someone else. This is what scripture says. Number, f- uh, so the translation is, I will seek the esteem of others. Number five, if you didn't write that down, I will seek the esteem of others. Number five, I will make myself like the most high. Remember I said that he is Venus, represented by Venus, the third brightest star in the atmosphere, uh, from our atmosphere. Now, when he says I will make myself like the most high, uh, <laughs> scripture has already said he was perfect in beauty and wisdom, like God. What was the only thing that separated Satan from God, Lucifer from God? He was created. And everything created is dependent on his creator. Here's what he was saying. I want independence. Translation, I will seek total independence from God. And this is the trajectory that so many humans are seeking after today. Now, I will seek, the translation there, I will seek total independence from God. I got a point that I want to make, and it's going to pinch. Did Lucifer believe in God? Feel free to answer. Did he know Jesus? Uh, Did he worship God? At one point, yep, yep. Did he understand that his gifts and talents were from God? You could say he was a lot like us. Lucifer's temptation is a church person's problem. He was a worship leader. Write it down. Lucifer's temptation is a church person's problem. Put it up on the screen. Lucifer's temptation is our problem. This is why I'm so careful. Church, listen to me. At least I try to be so careful about who gets up on this stage in front of you. Because this is music and it's talent. And if there's some place that I have seen more people taken out of the church, it's right here on the stage. Because just now, instead of using their gifts to bless you, they use their gifts to get you to celebrate them. That's not ministry anymore. That's satanic. And so when you see worship leaders leave and worship leaders come and go and singers on stage and suddenly they're not on stage, understand that pastorally I have a concern for you and for them. Lucifer's problem was a church person problem. So let us summarize the whole thing. Lucifer let his God-given image become the source of untethered and all-consuming ambition. He, he, he let what God gave him become consuming. Now, now, for him, there's no grace available. He's done. He's finished. For you, there is. So some of you are like, Pastor, this message has depressed me. <laughs> All right. What's the answer? Jesus. You know, we like to worry about who the Antichrist is. Let me throw out a different term. Who's the anti-Satan? It's Jesus. (coughs) Satan sought to go up. Jesus sought to come down. Satan wanted to go and get. Jesus came to give. Satan wanted to fill himself up. The scripture says Jesus emptied himself out. 
And in Matthew chapter 26, the Bible says that Jesus went to a place called Gethsemane. It's a garden, by the way. The night before he was crucified and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Verse 39, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed. See, the Lord Jesus Christ does not just leave heaven to come to earth, does not just come to earth and walk, does not just walk and lead and heal. He goes right into that garden and in the garden there's a lot of dirt and the Lord Jesus, the anti-Satan, put his face in the dirt and said words that I hope today are more meaningful for you than ever before. Father, if it is possible, let this pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, the anti-Satan. How do I get a hold of this in my life? It's a miracle. You gotta surrender, you gotta get down, you gotta go down, you gotta kneel. And when we do Ezekiel chapter 36, it tells us, I'll give you a new heart, because it's a virus, and ain't nobody can do anything about a virus. We can just avoid it. But if it's in us, it's done. This is in us, this is in me. I wrestle with this, I'm talking to me today. I'm talking to you and I'm talking to me. We gotta surrender every day. We gotta a fresh and a new surrender and say, no more of me. I need your heart. And God says, I'll give you one. I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you a new spirit. And I will cause you, I love that. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and obey my rules. Don't you understand that Christianity is not just avoiding sins, it's not just believing things, it's letting Jesus give you a new inside so that what's inside wants what he wants and hates what he hates and loves what he loves. And you shall be my people, God says, and I will be your God. So I have on this podium today this leaf. This is an olive leaf that I got in Jerusalem two years ago from the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you go there today, they'll show you trees at the garden across the Kidron Valley from the Temple Mount, the Kidron Valley, Garden of Gethsemane. And there's these trees and they look so old. They look so old that they actually, the the tour guide says, there's a good chance that these trees were there the night Jesus said not as I will so I the problem is they don't let you in the garden it's surrounded by a big iron fence so I did something I climbed the fence because it's me you know so I I'm climbing the fence and I'm like up on the top of the fence in Jerusalem If you've been to Israel, you know, you don't mess with stuff, they say. So I was reaching, and all of a sudden I hear a voice, Hey, you! Get down! And this maintenance man comes running out from the garden, and I jump down from the fence. I'm like, oh, oh, I just, I just, I just wanted one of the leaves. I just wanted one of the leaves. He goes, no leaf for you. So then my fellow pastors and friends who were with me on the tour, they suddenly got the idea, hey, I want to leave. And so they're like, hey, sir, can I have a leaf? And he's like, sure. And he starts handing leaves out to all my friends. And I'm like, hey, give me a leaf. He goes, no leaf for you. (laughs) Fence climber. So I go to my friends and I'm like, hey, could I have one of your leaves? They're like, I don't want to be associated with you. He'll take my leaf away. This is Israel for heaven's sakes. So there's this church next to the garden. It's called the Church of All Nations. And I went inside, and I was just like walking around and looking at the scenery and and praying. And suddenly I'm like, I got an idea. I got an idea. I can get those leaves. (laughs) So uh, I come back out, and I find the maintenance man, and he's just giving me the stink eye. He's like, what are you doing back here? I kid you not. This is all true. And I said, sir, come here. Come here. And I said, "Um, I'm a pastor. (laughs) Whenever I do anything wrong, I lead with, I'm a pastor. (laughs) Officer, I'm a pastor. Okay, anyway. I'm a pastor, and uh, I shouldn't have climbed the fence. I'm sorry. Could I have some leaves? (laughs) 
And he reached down and he picked up a pile of leaves and he gave them to me and I put them in a jar on my desk. And these are in my office every day from the Garden of Gethsemane, these olives, these, because these leaves remind me of two things. Number one, they remind me of how far my Jesus came to get me. And number two, they remind me that the only way that I get what he got is when I say I'm sorry. Some of you feel like a failure. Well, I've got good news for you. You are. And if you admit it, God's grace floods into your life and erases all that the devil wanted to steal from you and pours into you all the goodness that God has for you. But you gotta say, I'm sorry. You gotta say, I failed. I'm not what I should be. I'm a pretender, I'm a fake, I'm a phony, and I need God's grace, and I'm telling you something. That's the way to get it. The last thing I want you to write down is, in the beginning, Lucifer entered the garden of God to steal you from him. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus entered the garden to bring you back to him. The question, as it always is, is will you receive him?